Welcome to episode 138. So if you come along to the podcast to have your mind open and your life change, well, this episode is going to make some serious headway on that mission. If you're feeling lost, helpless and totally abandoned by the systems and people that you trusted to keep you safe in this current chapter of human history, then... I think this episode is for you. This is the second edition to our Better Questions series, which provides you with the tools to do your own research within your own mind, soul, family, community, and country. And so if this is resonating with you and you liked part one, then let's get into it. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? Welcome back to another Ask Better Questions episode, something that is desperately needed in 2021. And speaking of 2021, it is my mission to coach 250 men and women to lose weight and become their healthiest self before the end of this year. Alrighty, so it seems the first episode that I did on this topic, episode 132, called How to Ask Better Questions in 2021, was one of my most shared episodes of the year on social media, which is awesome because my mission for that episode is to be able to challenge people's current belief system with some very simple and basic logic. Now, if you listen to that episode, you'll know that it wasn't about me telling you what to think or telling you my opinion and claiming it to be the only truth. If I did that, then I would just be as bad as the mainstream media or the government in most countries of the world right now. And frankly, and very sadly, most medical professionals at the minute. In fact, I've seen interviews here in Australia with medical professionals where they have literally said, and I quote the exact words, stop asking questions and just do the right thing which I personally think is absolutely disgusting and atrocious for that to be said by any healthcare worker. For anyone that you go to for help with your own physical body, they should absolutely be in support of your curiosity and education and desire to understand how it all works and make sense of it. After all, they themselves get to their level of expertise and knowledge through curiosity and education. So, Any medical professional that makes a move to take away your right to ask questions, to seek information, or to take away your right to choose what you do with your body and maintain body sovereignty, that person should not be the recipient of your money or you should not be the recipient of their service in any way. And in my opinion, they are the true people that need to be censored and deplatformed. Remember, You have to vote with your behavior and your dollar. So the best way to make change and get rid of people like this out of the narrative is to put your time, energy and resources, aka money, into the things you do want for yourself, supporting the people that you do believe are doing the right thing for yourself and humanity. And that in turn lays the foundations for the world that we build for our children and our grandchildren. Anyhow. We're like two minutes in and I'm already off to the races with an ideological rant. (laughs) Rain it in, Lansdowne. So as we did on episode 132, I'm here to give you better questions. Better questions to ask your friends, family, security guards, police, and most importantly, scientists, nurses, and doctors, because the quality of the questions that you ask directly dictates the quality of the answer that is possible to receive. The only thing to mention and remember is that you must ask these questions with genuine curiosity. If you're not genuinely seeking the truth, then you're no better than they are because 
you believe you're right and your truth is the only truth and you're forcing others to believe it. It becomes a pot calling the kettle black argument and no one wins in that space. Not that this is about winning, but you get what I'm saying. You've got to be open, supportive and inherently curious about your better questions, about the answers that may or may not come. Otherwise, you're not asking better questions. They're simply questions that are manipulative and set up to push your version of reality onto other people and let them know that you actually judge them for not being like you. And and nobody wants to be judged for where they're at on their journey. Imagine if someone judged you for only being halfway to the person you were going to be, knowing there was so much more to come. It's not cool, right? (laughs) So curiosity is the name of the game. It's the name of the game. Another little thing to mention, and this is a bit of a disclaimer, that things in the world may actually change and hopefully will. And these questions at some point in the future may no longer be relevant or valid in any way. Trust me when I say I hope that this is true. I hope these episodes become totally redundant because we got the answers we were looking for and the right thing happened. You know, I really do. I really do. I want these episodes to be redundant. Anyway, So the first one off the bat for today's Ask Better Questions is an easy one. However, it's also quite deep. Do you know when you went through school or even university and you learned from a lecturer and you read a textbook or maybe you even looked up to a particular person um, or you looked up to your parents and when they spoke, you essentially inherited what they said as the truth, your truth. And then you graduated school or uni or simply grew up into a free-thinking adult to realize Actually, some of the stuff we learned in those textbooks was actually wrong. And now I'm an adult. Some of the things that my mum and dad said were actually true about the world actually isn't. And you go through this moment of being like, oh, okay, that, you know, I didn't quite realize that they didn't have it all figured out or that the institutions were, you know, not always on the right track. And the point that I'm making here is that we look up to our educational institutions and their staff, as well as our parents, with the presumption that they must have it all figured out because they are ahead of me. They have survived in the world longer than me to a point that I am not even near yet. So because I'm following in their footsteps, these footsteps must be the right steps to take. The same with education bodies. We often think, of course, this must be the truth because look at all these students. This is such a well-attended school and they must be teaching the right thing. Otherwise, I'm sure the government must come in and close the doors of the school and the university down for doing it wrong or someone must be here to protect me from the wrong information my parents are giving me. My emphasis on the word must is important to acknowledge because every time I just use the word must, I highlighted to you that due to the way we perceive familial and societal hierarchy, we presume a number of things to be true without actually knowing if they're true. Now, this is an important societal variable because if trust wasn't naturally built into families or institutions, then the world would be significantly more chaotic than it is right now. However, it goes both ways. If trust is built into these systems that most people presume to be a certain way, then naturally you are vulnerable to being misled be it by a teacher, a parental figure, a law enforcement officer. And there's actually a few intense and serious examples that have been in the media recently with the woman in England that was kidnapped, raped and murdered by a police officer. 
Now, I fully want to acknowledge it's absolutely horrific in every single way and that me talking about this right now lacks significant detail. But the point I want to make here is that most of us would have presumed a police officer must be a beacon of hope and safety due to the presumption that society builds into this type of profession and the status that it gives this type of job. And this is obviously an extreme example of those presumptions being wrong or exploited. Pedophilia is another extreme example where the presumption is weaponized and exploited. All right, we got pretty heavy there pretty quick, but I hope I'm challenging the way you look at things in the world because there is a lot in our world that we presume to be true that must be true in our world that we don't actually truly know for ourselves to be a fact. Does that make sense? Are you with me? So with that said, What's the first better question for us to ask? I've given it a pretty intense build-up, right? (laughs) All right, first better question is, why do you believe the news? Simple, right? However, this is likely to trigger people because you're highlighting to people that they don't actually know why they believe the news, but they are presuming that it must be the way they think it is. Now, again, I'm not saying the news is true or untrue. I think the news has some really positive and impactful utility in keeping society up to date, connected, informed, but equally can be used dangerously and due to the fact that most people presume it to have some kind of truth, it can therefore be utilized in other ways without us knowing the true facts, right? So why do you believe in the news? That's a good question to ask people and it's a good conversation to have. Next one. Have you ever been driving on the freeway and needed to pull over? It's not common that pulling over on the highway or the freeway needs to happen. But when you do need to do it, you think, shit, why is there nowhere to pull over? Why is there no space on the side of the road? Now, in most countries I've been to, this is actually a thing. There are no spaces either side of the highway to pull over. Why is that? Generally speaking, and this may surprise you, but generally speaking, it is actually an attempt to discourage people from exiting their vehicles in such a dangerous area where the cars are moving really fast, unable to stop if a person was in their way. And so it's actually a safety mechanism built into the system so that you don't become a major hazard for everyone to be around. And fun fact, in many countries, legally speaking, if you pull over and get out of your car, You're legally no longer considered a motorist. You're legally considered a pedestrian and a pedestrian should not be walking on a highway. So there's all sorts of stuff you can do and not be safe or covered for there. Anyway, the point is that it's designed this way to protect everyone involved and dramatically reduce the risk of harm to you and others. A fairly reasonable sentiment, I would argue, right? I think so. Although, It is annoying if you really do need to pull over. Maybe your five-year-old needs to do an emergency poop or you have blown a tire. (laughs) So, you know, there's legitimate reasons to need to pull over. But you get the point here, though, is it's a system that's built with the idea of protecting people and eliminating the risk. Okay, so the next question that you might like to ask to create productive conversation is, and I hope this highway parking example helps you to connect the, the idea of this question, Why are businesses publicly announcing that they will not allow vaccinated people onto their premises or to utilize their services? Most people will assume it's these little conspiracy theory business owners. (laughs) However, that question will likely lead you to discover that their business liability insurance will not cover them for anything that happens to them or anyone on their property that engages with their services that has been vaccinated. So it's not necessarily a business owner with an opinion. It 
could be, but that's but it's primarily, in my eyes, a business decision, an insurance decision to protect everyone involved. So the next better question is, why will their insurance provider not cover them? These are the types of questions I want you to start asking people around you. And whilst we're on the topic, I have another better question to ask regarding insurances. First up, I want you to think about the types of insurances that you trust and feel comfortable with in your own life. Maybe you trust the brakes in your car, that they'll always work. Do you ever think about the brakes working in your car? Of course not, because you trust the systems, the technology, and the standards that the development of those vehicles are kept to. And so you've never thought twice about it. Even when you get in and test drive a new car, I bet you don't think about whether the brakes are going to work or not, right? The system is built that reliably. And so you have enough data in your own head from knowing all the people that have ever driven a car to you having driven a car hundreds or thousands of times in your life. So you've got enough data in your head of the thousands of times you have experienced using the brakes to calculate the likelihood of the brakes not working. And therefore, you're like, it's so incredibly unlikely. Maybe it's 0.001%. It's so low that it doesn't even warrant a thought or consideration in your mind even though the brake's not working, could lead to a catastrophic outcome, the likelihood of that outcome is so incredibly low. But what if you think when we come to, say, skydiving, keeping in mind that a lot more people die from driving their own car than people do jumping out of airplanes. But imagine you went skydiving and we were in the plane and the instructor was like, look, We've got this new type of parachute. We haven't used them before, but they're really different to what we're familiar with. But in theory, it should be the same. But we don't know. What are you going to do? I would hazard a guess that you're staying the heck on that plane (laughs) until it lands on the airstrip again because you cannot be guaranteed that you'll be okay. There is not enough data to make appropriate decisions about how you invest your time and what you risk during that time. With a lack of data, you cannot gauge the risk and therefore you cannot know whether it's a good idea or a bad idea, right? Seems simple. And so the next better question is, and this comes after seeing three proper physical letters from insurance companies on letterhead addressed to people that I know personally, explaining why. I'm not going to read that information or give you the why, but I want you to start asking this question of the people in your world, including your insurance companies, and asking for their formal written reply. And so the question is, why are health insurance companies saying they won't cover people for adverse outcomes, permanent disability, or death in relation to COVID or vaccination? Hey, hey, my listeners, what's up? If you're enjoying the episode thus far, please consider writing a review and dropping in five stars on the Apple podcast page of this show as it really does help the visibility of the podcast to guide other people to find it. And as well, it helps other curious people just like yourself prior to tuning into the show to see whether or not this podcast is a good fit. And I, of course, hope that it is. And so that's really the best way to support our work and what we do here on the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. Oh, and I also love seeing you share the episode on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, and I often reshare those posts. So, be sure to give me a tag at Matty Lansdowne. Okay, let's get back into the episode. I truly think that is an important question to ask. If our health insurance won't protect us, why? And also, who will protect us? If these systems that we have grown to trust and have faith in and that have helped us in the past, 
who will protect us if they won't? It seems we might have to take that power back into our own hands as a group of humans together having one another's back. Maybe? I don't know. What do you think? I'm not sure. I don't know the answer to these questions. On to the next one. On to the next one. So, one interesting thing that I find with people that are excessively overweight is the idea of bariatric surgery. So, I've personally spoken to a number of people that were heading down that path, uh, both before and after surgery. And in, in the last minute attempt to find an alternative path, the people that I spoke to that hadn't yet done it, they had heard about other options and, and were really like, oh, I'm not too sure about this surgery. And maybe they'd, you know, heard a family member say something or they met someone with an experience that had the surgery and they'd gained all the weight back. But they found themselves in a conversation with me anyhow. And and I fundamentally want to understand why they're doing what they're doing. What led them to this choice? And as you know, the functional nutrition thinking get to the cause of what is going on. Given that so many people regain the weight back within a couple of years and basal metabolic rate does not really change, I really want to understand why they feel this surgery is the answer, given, as I said, so many people regain the weight back. Again, what we know medically speaking and nutritionally speaking, bariatric surgery is not dealing with the cause of the issue. That's why people gain all the weight back, right? And find other ways to consume calories. But this is something that Jason Fung talks about and presents a lot of data on. The fact that, you know, it's about behavior change and it's about the diet and et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, that's beside the point. This isn't saying as well that it might not be the right step at the right time and that during the surgery, they magically also give you a lobotomy as well to change your self-belief, self-identity and behavior patterns that led to the problem in the first place. No, this process does actually help a few people, but you understand where I'm going. Why get the surgery when the risk of relapse is so incredibly high and irrelevant of the type of surgery? I want to know, would you go under an anesthetic? So pumping your, your veins full of drugs into putting them into your system, have your body cut open, things removed and some artificial things even added? Would you do that if the outcome was still the same as if you had not had the surgery? Would you have risked all the potential consequences that come with being injected with drugs, having your body opened, and all the complex risks that come with a surgical procedure? Would you risk all of that for no change or even minimal change in the likelihood of the outcome? That's a good question. So that frames us up for the next question that is worth asking. This question is posed because I have read research articles that inform this. I have seen the Victorian Premier say it. I have seen the New South Wales Premier say it. I have seen the New Zealand Prime Minister say it. I have seen drug companies that have listed it in their documentation and have seen GPs and nurses talk about it too. So the question is, why, if people have announced that getting the jab does not change your risk of catching the virus or transmitting the virus, why are we still being forced to put this fluid into our bodies? Let me repeat this for you because it's actually mind-blowing. I'll give you a second to process it too. If the jab does not prevent you catching the virus and it does not prevent you giving the virus to other people, why are we being forced to have the jab at all? That was your processing time. It's intense, right? It's full on. It's confronting because it's like, hang on, what? (laughs) 
And in that sentence, I want you to take the word forced very seriously too. We might not be at the point that the military are holding you down to inject you yet, but we've lost jobs. We've lost significant amounts of money. The economy has collapsed to the point that we're expected to have a monstrous recession very soon. We've lost family members. We've even lost the right to assemble as a group, even in your own home or at a wedding or at a funeral. We've lost the rights to travel and move around freely. In many places, you've even lost the right to show your face, even in your own country, town, community, and for some knuckleheads, even in their own car by (laughs) themselves. And here's a thought too. A needle essentially cuts a hole in your body, goes inside, and injects artificial substances manufactured in a lab, and comes out again. So you could, you could pose the concept that an injection is actually a mini surgery. So a different question might be to get you thinking about it. Would you allow someone to force a surgical procedure on you or take your rights away because you wouldn't have said surgical procedure? Paints a different picture when someone's coming at you with a scalpel, (laughs) right? So after asking the if it doesn't help, why are we taking it question, the next layer of peeling the onion that I want to do with your better questions is to ask, so then, what is actually in it? If it doesn't solve the problem, it doesn't protect us, What is so important to the stakeholders of the world, leaders of our country and pharmaceutical companies that basically run our reality, what is in this vaccine that is so important to those people that they're willing to take all human freedom from almost every country on the planet and have the police and military treat us like criminals to force this fluid into our body? What is in it? I don't have the answer to that question. But until someone can answer all of these questions, including the ones on episode 132, I'm not participating. For over a year now, I've been saying, surely that won't happen. This is Australia. We're chill over here. We're relaxed. And that seems to be the exact thing that's being weaponized against us and used to control us. Australians don't pipe up. They're chill. They say she'll be right. How long have we been saying she'll be right? Just keeps getting fucking worse, like, right? As much as I've said that won't happen here, we live in Australia, I've been proven wrong every single time for 18 months straight. And so I now start reminding myself, and this this probably feels extreme, but it's a, I think it's a fair statement. I keep reminding myself that North Korea started somewhere. Nazi Germany started somewhere. They didn't just wake up one day and were in the middle of World War II. North Korea didn't just wake up one day and punish someone by killing 30,000 people, right? And you're probably, as I say this, you're probably saying, oh, we live in Australia, that won't happen here. How long have you been saying that? You've probably been saying that as long as I have, right? It's insane. It's absolutely insane. And I want you to think back, you know, I want you to think back to January 2020. Before any of this happened, would you have ever imagined the country of Australia, or even particularly here in Melbourne where I'm located, repeatedly voted as the most livable city in the world, could you have ever imagined that this is where we would be? So, I want you to take these questions away and think about them, talk about them, ask people what they think, get conversations going, and remember, anyone that writes you off for simply asking is gaslighting you, right? And as we classified them on the last episode, 
wanker. <laughs> people that gaslight anybody are not people you want in your life. But constructive conversations do need to happen. And, and the people that gaslight you are ironically the people that need these conversations the most. It's the same with anything, you know. The people that resist it the most are the people that need it the most. The more real discussions we have around these topics, the more we might start finding power in our ability to relate to one another and come together as a collective, seeking truth as a unified front and standing against what is truly wrong. Rather than staying silent at home and finding whatever excuse feels like it fits to justify our lack of courage to stand against lies, deceit and tyranny. As I said on episode 132, the work we do now to make planet Earth better is the world that you're going to live in for the next, well, what's the average listener? 40-year-old? The next 40 to 50 years. This is the world you're going to live in for the next 50 years. It's the next 80 to 100 years of your kids, you know? It's the next 80 to 100 years of your grandkids. This is the world they'll live in. So please remember, silence is consent. And in a room full of thieves, the sleeper willingly loses everything and complains when he wakes up. If you love this episode and think someone you know needs to ask some different or better questions, please share this episode with them and use me to bring up these conversations at home. I don't mind being that person, the scapegoat that you use to share these types of conversations or get the ball rolling. I'm totally cool with that. So share it with a friend, a family member, your partner, your loved one, anyone that you think may benefit and let's crack open some minds and hell, they might even be on their way to an episode on intermittent fasting and nutrition and just change their whole bloody life. (laughs) After all, that's why we rock up here every Wednesday, isn't it? To open minds and change lives. All right. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you being with me to the end and listening to both of these episodes, being willing, brave, and courageous to enter this space with me. And I look forward to hearing how you go moving into this space with the people in your world. Thanks for tuning in and I'll catch you on the next one. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use. And we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.